Merry Christmas, Cedar Creek. Thank you. Yeah, it is officially the Christmas season. And you know how I know that? Because lights and decorations are going up all over town. There's a Christmas playlist on Spotify. Amazon packages are piling up on front porches. And many of us are already starting to schedule events and activities over these next couple of weeks. It is here. It is happening, ready or not. And, I, you know, I think for most of us, because of what 2020 has been like, I think we're looking forward and anticipating uh, Christmas coming, but we're also expecting Christmas to be a little different this year. I mean, why not? Everything else this year has been different and strange. And so we're expecting Christmas to be different. But you know what? I have a sneaky suspicion that this Christmas is going to be just like every other Christmas. I mean, I know maybe less travel, smaller gatherings, but we're creatures of habit. I am convinced that most of us are still going to spend too much, eat too much, schedule too much and have too many interactions with dysfunctional family members that we only see this time of year. Now this way, this year you might be able to do it on Zoom instead of in person, but it is going to happen. Now hear me on this, I'm not trying to be the Grinch. I'm not anti-Christmas celebration. I love all the hoopla and all the hype of Christmas, but this year maybe it's even more important that we recognize that there is often a disconnect between what we celebrate at Christmas and the way that we celebrate Christmas. Because that first Christmas, 2,000 plus years ago, was anything but holly, jolly, merry, or bright. In fact, for the people who are a part of it, the truth is it was a very dark and difficult and confusing time for them. And so I was just thinking maybe this year, because it's been such a dark and difficult and confusing time for all of us, that we might try to push through the facade of our Christmas celebration and really focus on and be reminded of what the birth of Jesus really means to us. And so I'm calling this series Simply Christmas simplifying Christmas. And, and the goal is not to try to convince you to go home today and take down your decorations and send back your gifts. It's to try to help all of us see past the hype and hoopla of the celebration to the simple power of what Christmas is all about. To rediscover, and maybe for some of you, to discover for the first time the true hope, the true joy, the true peace of Christmas. You know, it's interesting, three out of the four gospel writers include the story of Jesus' birth in their gospels. In fact, Matthew and Luke tell us most everything we know about Jesus' birth. It's in their gospels that we find out about Mary and Joseph and the trip to Bethlehem, the animal stall, the manger, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men. We read all of those details in Matthew and Luke's gospel. 
But in John's gospel, and John, by the way, was closer to Jesus, spent more time with Jesus than any other gospel writer. And when, God, and when John describes the birth of Jesus, he does it with two very simple but powerful phrases. Check it out, John chapter one. John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And here's Christmas. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See, Christmas is not a celebration of just some magic baby born in a manger. Christmas is the celebration of God with us. That the God of the universe, for some reason I could never fathom, motivated only by his love for us, wrapped himself in human flesh, stepped out of the beauty and perfection of heaven and entered the broken, stinky messiness, not just of our world, but of our individual lives. And you know, since John chose to describe Christmas with the word, word, I thought it might be a good idea over these next couple of weeks to look at three words that really define what having the word dwell with us means. And so today, we're going to begin our journey by looking simply at the word hope. Hope's a key word of Christmas, right? You hear it in the Christmas songs. We read it on our Christmas cards. Some of us even spell it out in lights in our front yard decorations. But there's a big difference between the hope of Christmas that the world thinks and what the true hope of Christmas is all about. The word has a very different, the world has a very different definition of hope than what God's word does. In fact, I, I looked up the word hope on the Google this week, and here was the definition. Hope is the, an optimistic state of mind based on expectations of positive outcomes. The world says hope is expecting things to get better in my circumstances. The world thinks the hope of Christmas is I hope I get the gift I wanted or I hope I give the gift to the person I love that they wanted. I hope the money holds out. I hope my finances will be okay first of the year. I hope that job will come through. I hope that family member will finally wake up and make the changes they need to make to get their life back together. That's the world's hope based on circumstances, hoping for things to get better. No reason to believe they will, but just wishing it. The world says hope is a wish, a dream or for better things, but the Bible defines hope. The hope of Christmas is this, the confident expectation grounded in faith that God will fulfill his promises. Do you see the difference between those two? The true hope is not based on changes in my circumstances. True hope is based on God's faithfulness in spite of my circumstances. In fact, check out what the Bible says. I love this verse, Hebrews 10, 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. 
Why? Because he who promised is what? What does it say? He is faithful. And that's what Christmas is all about. God faithfully fulfilling his promises. The birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise God made thousands of years before in the Garden of, the e of Eden. When sin and brokenness and pain and struggle and suffering entered our world, in that moment, God said, a promise of a redeemer. I'm going to come and I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make sure that your pain and your struggle is not permanent and it is not eternal. And it was in that manger that God made the down payment on this promise of a rescue from our pain and our sin and our struggle. That's what we're celebrating. That's the true hope of Christmas. And so what I want to do for just the next few minutes is I want to explore how this true hope from God intersects with our circumstances and gives us the strength we need to keep getting through whatever it is we're going through. And to help us do that, we're going to look at some of the key people who were a part of that very first Christmas and how in spite of their circumstances, when they grabbed hold of that hope, Grounded in God's faithfulness, they were able to be transformed and experience what Christmas is all about. So let's jump in. If you're in person at one of our campuses, you got a program, you can follow along on your message notes. If you're watching online, there's place and space for everyone to be able to follow along. So let's jump in. The first thing we learn about hope is that it strengthens me when I'm confused and worried. Hope strengthens me when I am confused and worried. If I had to pick two words to describe 2020, I think those are the words I'd pick. Confused and worried. Because between the pandemic and the politics, there's a lot of confusion, right? We don't know who to believe, who to trust. This group has their experts. This group has their experts. There's all kinds of confusion and there's tons of uncertainty headed into 2021. Uncertainty about the virus and the vaccine, uncertainty about the leadership of our nation. We have a lot of confusion and worry this Christmas. Guess who else had that? Mary. Mary felt confused and worried that first Christmas. And why not? I mean, imagine what this was like for her. Put yourself in Mary's sandals for just a second. A young teenage, possibly even preteen girl who's excited about her upcoming wedding. She's dreaming not just about the wedding, she's dreaming about the future together, starting a home and a family with this handsome carpenter named Joseph. In the midst of all of this excitement for the future, an angel shows up and drops a bomb on her that freaks her out. He tells her, you're going to become pregnant with a child, not an ordinary child, a child conceived by God himself through his Holy Spirit, and he is the promised Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the promise made all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And Mary responds the way we would respond with questions, right? How's that going to happen? How's it going to work? 
What's Joe going to say? What are my parents going to say? How's the village going to respond? Because unwed pregnancies were not treated the way they are today. She had all of these questions. In fact, look at what the Bible says. Luke 1, 29, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Two things I want you to notice about that verse. One is the word confused. I looked it up in my Bible dictionary, and it's the Greek word diatarasso. And you know what? This is the only time in the entire Bible that that word is used. And it literally means overwhelmed and shaken. So overwhelmed, so confused, so much uncertainty. That's where Mary was. Some of you got your own diatarasso going on right now. You're overwhelmed and shaken by your circumstances, by what's going on in your family, with your health. And we often do what Mary tried to do. Notice the second part of that verse. Because Mary is so overwhelmed, so confused, so worried, she tried to think what the angel could mean. Now, now let me clarify. When the angel spoke to Mary, the angel did not stutter. The angel was very clear. He didn't use words or ideas that Mary couldn't figure out or didn't know. He was very plain, very clear. And so Mary's, when that verse says, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean, she's not trying to figure out what the angel said. She's trying to figure out how to deal with what the angel has told her. She's trying to figure out how to make sense out of these confusing and worrisome circumstances. And isn't that what we do when we're confused, we're worried, we try to figure out what am I going to do, how am I going to fix it, how am I going to make all this work? But listen, hope, hope is not about making sense out of our circumstances. Hope is about trusting God's promises in my circumstances. And that is exactly what Mary ultimately chooses to do. I want to encourage you sometime to go read uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, because it's one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. It's called Mary's Song, or in some places they call it the Magnificat. It's this incredible prayer. But if you go and read it, you know what you'll discover? Basically, Mary is giving a laundry list of the faithfulness of God in the history of our nation. She's pulling out all of these promises from the Old Testament, from the Torah that she would have grown up learning about. And she is focusing and reminding herself of how God has been faithful for centuries with her people. And now she can believe that he will be faithful with her. In fact, so much so that because Mary focuses on God's faithfulness to his promises, by the time we get to the end of the story, by the time the baby is born and the shepherds have come and gone, look where Mary is. Luke 2, 19. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You see what happened there? By focusing on God's faithfulness to his promises, the hope she had turned her confusion and worry into contentment and peace. And it can still do that for you today. 
Look, I don't know what's creating confusion in your world right now. I don't know what you're worried about in the future, but I do know this. God has promised that he has a plan and a purpose in everything in your life. Every circumstance he is working in and through for your good and his glory. And so when my focus shifts from my circumstances to God's faithfulness, then my confusion and worry starts to become contentment and peace. That is the power of hope. But it doesn't stop there. There's a second thing hope does, and that it strengthens me when I'm hurting and disappointed. Hope strengthens me when I'm hurting and disappointed. In fact, I would say this. The deeper our pain is, the greater our need for hope becomes. You don't need hope to get through the minor inconveniences of life. You can get through those with a little bit of prayer and a little bit of perseverance. But when the loss is catastrophic, when the pain is so deep, it feels like you can't take your next breath, in those moments, hope is essential just to survive. You've heard that saying before, right? You can go for weeks without food. You can go for days without water. You can even go for minutes without air, but you can't go for one more moment without hope. Hope is essential when your world has fallen apart, when your hopes and your dreams have turned to ashes. That's when hope really matters. Joseph understood that. He was a hurting, disappointed person. He wasn't, you know, Mary wasn't the only one dreaming about a great future. Imagine the excitement he had at marrying this beautiful young woman and setting up his carpentry shop and starting a family and being a dad and all those hopes and dreams turned to ashes when he discovered that Mary had been unfaithful to her vows even before those vows were consummated. Look, I know she has this story about angel and God, but but Joe's not buying it. There's no way that's true. Best case scenario, Mary is lying to cover up her unfaithfulness. Worst case scenario, she believes what she's saying and she's delusional and struggling with a mental illness. Either way, it's all falling apart for Joe. In fact, notice what happens, Matthew 1.19. It says, Joseph, to whom she, talking about Mary, was engaged, was a righteous man. He was a good dude and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. You see what he's doing there? Giving up. He's throwing in the towel. He's cutting his losses. And yes, he's doing it in a remarkably kind and grace-filled way, but don't miss the broken heart of this man. You know the rest of the story, right? Once Joseph makes up his mind and finally decides what he's going to do, he falls asleep. Who knows? Maybe it was the first night's sleep he'd had in days because you know how it is when you're weighing a big decision and you know, you're up all night. Well, he's finally decided he's gonna cut her loose. 
Maybe a little relief comes and he falls asleep. And while he's sleeping, an angel shows up and informs him, not only is Mary telling the truth, but that angel moves Joseph's focus to God's promise. Because he tells him in the dream, you are to name this child Jesus because he will rescue his people from their sin. Do you see that? The angel turns Joseph's eyes from his disappointment and pain to the promise of a faithful God. And now, all of a sudden, when his focus changes from his hurt and his disappointment to God's faithfulness, look at his response, Matthew 1, 24. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. Catch that? Hope, hope turns my pain and disappointment into steps of obedience, even when it doesn't make sense. I mean, it's important to remember that, yes, the angel told Joe that Mary's telling the truth and this child is the long-promised Messiah, but the angel doesn't answer all of Joe's questions. The angel doesn't tell Joe all the tough stuff he's going to go through. The angel doesn't mention the brutal trip to Bethlehem with a nine-month pregnant fiancé. The angel doesn't talk about having to run and hide from a crazy king in Africa two years later. He doesn't answer all his questions. He doesn't solve all his problems. He simply reminds Joseph of God's promise and God's faithfulness. And that is enough for Joe to at least take the next step. So can I ask you a question? Where are you stuck in your pain right now? Where are the disappointments and regrets from your past holding you back from your future? Because see, hope is not about removing your pain and disappointment. Hope is about giving you the strength to take the next step in your pain and disappointment. And because of Christmas, because of what we are celebrating, that hope is available to every one of us. That's the hope of Christmas. And just when you thought it couldn't get much better, there's a third thing that hope does for us, and that gives me strength when I am afraid and anxious. Hope gives me strength when I am afraid and anxious. Well, that's good news this year, isn't it? I mean, fear and anxiety are at all-time highs. Psychologists, counselors, pastors are telling us they're seeing more and more anxiety disorder being diagnosed in more and more people and in people younger and younger. In fact, according to the National Council of Behavioral Health, Anxiety disorder is now being diagnosed in children as young as seven. That is the second grade. And there's a lot of debate about why that is. The internet, social media, uh, distracted parents, and, and I don't know, maybe all of those things are a cause for it. I don't know the cause, but I do know the cure. The cure is hope. And the birth of Jesus brings that hope into our fear and anxiety. No better picture of that in the Christmas story than the angels, right? 
those shepherds keeping watch out in the fields by night, and you remember what happens? An angel shows up, and it freaks them out. It sends them into a panic attack. Notice Luke 2, 9. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? They were terrified. Now, you need to understand, these guys, these shepherds, they were not a bunch of weak, timid, you know, scaredy little girl acting boys. No, these were brave, strong men. These guys spent the night all the time out in the fields with their sheep. They slept outside. You know, they didn't have buildings or anything to protect them. They regularly took on with their bare hands lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, these are brave men. And yet when the angel shows up, they are terrified. Why? Because it was something they had never seen or experienced before. You know why they weren't afraid of lions and tigers and bears? They dealt with lions and tigers and bears. But this was a new situation. This was a new set of circumstances and it scared them to death. 2020 has caused all of us to face circumstances we've never seen before. We are having to face issues and questions and problems that we've never had to deal with before. In fact, that is the theme of 2020. It's a new normal in everything. And so what do you do with all that uncertainty? You focus on the certainty of God's faithfulness. That's why the angels said to the shepherds, they didn't just say, don't be afraid, but they pointed them to a picture of God's promise. Today in the city of David, a savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. And you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Do you see what the angel did? Took their eyes off of their temporary terror and put their eyes on the promise of God's faithfulness. And what do the shepherds do? They go and see for themselves. And as a result, it changes everything. Look at Luke 2.20. It says, the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. I was thinking about that this week, and I realized, you know what's true for many of us, all of us at some time or another? We try to get through life depending on the faith of others. We try to get through life based on what other people have told us about God what our parents or our favorite pastor or internet preacher or our favorite Christian author, we like to read what they say about what God is like and we think that's gonna get us through the terrifying moments of our life, but it won't. Hope will never come from what other people tell us about God. Hope will only ever come from our own personal experience with God. The angels just don't, I mean, the shepherds don't just say to the angels, well, that's great, the Savior's born, God is faithful, we're getting back to our sheep. No, they go and see what God has done. They personally engage with it. And as a result, 
their fear turns to worship. And that's what hope can do for you today. So let me close with this question. Where do you need to own your own faith? Where do you need to engage with who God really is, not what everybody else is telling you he is? Where do you need to get into his unchanging word and truth? Where do you need to get into relationships with other believers who are growing? Where do you need to own your faith? Where do you need to take a next step of faith in the middle of all of the fear around us? Maybe for some of you, that would be to take that step of baptism, right? to publicly profess Jesus as Lord through your baptism. For some of you, maybe it's finally, finally, after all these years, time to get connected with other believers through one of our home groups. Maybe it's time to, t- I know it's scary. That's a freaky thing going in a small group of people. They might give you a Bible quiz or make you pray out loud. No, none of those things are gonna happen. But that's a big step. But for some of you, that's the step because it's about your own personal experience, your journey with Jesus. For some of you, maybe that step of faith comes with your finances, especially this Christmas. Do you know in the area of finances, it is the only place where God invites us to test him on it. God says, test me when it comes to money and finances. You cannot outgive me. I don't care how generously you give, I'm always going to give back more than you ever give. Maybe for some of you, it's time to trust God with your finances. For a lot of us, you know what maybe it's time to do? Is to take a step back from trying to control the circumstances and people in our lives. For some of us, that step of faith is to step back, stop trying to fix everybody, stop trying to be the Messiah, and trust God enough so that you can step back and let it all fall apart for them, because maybe then they'll turn to God, and God will do some of his greatest work. I know it's scary, parents. I know it's scary, husbands and wives. It takes faith. The, The shepherds were scared. But because they were willing to get there and personally experience it, they were able to allow their fears to turn to worship. I don't know what your next step of faith is. I just know this. The hope of Christmas will give you the strength to take that step of faith today. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for reminding me and reminding all of us today that beyond the lights and the music and the gifts and the busyness and all the hype of Christmas, there is an amazing expression of your faithfulness to every promise you make to us in your word. And so God, this year, oh God, this year may be above any other Allow us to see behind the facade of Christmas celebration and catch a glimpse and grasp hold of the hope that Christmas brings. Oh, Father, we love you. Don't let this Christmas be the same old, same old. 
transform us with the power of hope that's placed not in our circumstances, but in your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.